Hi, this is PJ Stevens with one of my PJ Tips podcasts, Leading Business Change. Today I'm lucky enough to be sat outside with Colin Russell talking about um, business and change, particularly with a view to aviation and risk. Colin has an absolute ton of experience in this field. Now, don't be alarmed when I say risk, it's not that boring. And we're going to talk about some pretty interesting things. In fact, his nickname, if I remember, used to be hashtag Pottymouth. He's done some <laughs> truly, truly incredible things around change restructure emerges and now he's working in um, uh, with a network actually developed some drones where we can all fly around um, and kind of hovercraft amazing anyway listen let me introduce you to Colin and uh, he can tell you a little bit about himself and his career Colin over to you sir hey PJ this is lovely we're sitting outside in the sunshine down by the water and it's mm. just brilliant what a great chance to chat so yeah so you mentioned uh, safety and risk and that's that's been my my recent thing I suppose but I've always been interested in leadership and, and leading change Leading people to help make changes, I think is probably the way I describe it. So yeah, really looking forward to our chat. Yeah, thank you. So, so Colin, we've listen, we've spoken a few times about this, and it always makes me always makes me smile as you go from risk, which I listen, I do consider kind of a bit boring and academic, to actually the way you kind of manage it through people. But the bit I wanted to just to ask you about first is, where have you personally led business change, and what do you think are the attributes you have to you know to deliver that in your career? So, to be honest. I think leading change comes down to leading people. So, so I think my foundations I did 19 years in the in the Navy in the Fleet Air Arm as, a, as an officer. And leading people is something you're you're trained to do from the very start. So, aged 18, trained at, at Dartmouth. But more recently in in business change, um, I spent five years as a, as a consultant working with airlines, leading change in culture, um, in particular safety culture. So learning about different businesses and, and when you move between lots of different businesses rather than growing up vertically in one business, you see the good, the bad and the very, very ugly. Um, and so having learned from the good stuff and the bad stuff across a number of businesses and helping other people lead change was really interesting. Giving them the tools, the techniques, the support, sometimes just the encouragement and motivation to try something a bit different was great. And then. And then I realized actually I wanted to do that for myself um, and that tied up really nicely with, a, with an opportunity to go and work for Thomas Cook as their group director of safety. Um, I'd been consulting with them, I'd been helping them lead the change and then they told me to basically come and do it myself um, to come and help lead that change. So leading the cultural change of, uh, of five airlines in the Thomas Cook group across four different countries, um, 7,400 people, um, was a fascinating insight having done it first as a consultant and then actually coming in and running the program myself. Um, so that was great, and then unfortunately that was just before the demise of Thomas Cook. Um, we'd seen the results, the fruits of our labours as it were, just really starting, the momentum was really starting to build. Right. Um, and then unfortunately, as, as everyone knows, what happened to Thomas Cook. Um, so I stayed with them for a while actually in, in administration, so winding down the business with the approvals and the regulations and all the sort of the, the, the regulatory side of it all. Um, and then I got an opportunity to go to Flybee. Um, again, it was a cultural change. They, they brought me in because they knew they needed a change in their safety culture um, and they wanted to enhance it, to uh, advance it. Um, and that's why they brought me in, um, again, as the, the safety mm -hmm. director. Um, so I knew that I was setting up for change. And then unfortunately, I only had eight weeks at Flybe before, um, before COVID happened. And, and COVID was what ultimately took Flybe out. Yes, we were at a turnaround. We needed to turn around. We needed more investment. All the stories that are in the media. Um, but it was actually COVID that took us out. Um, 
And then I stayed there for a year. And that was really fascinating to stay for a year with Flybee in administration, trying to restart the business, rebuild the business, and just watching culture and, and how we're gonna set up the culture from the start in a new business. So, so I saw an awful lot. So not only as a consultant, but then going back in as a, as a, as a safety leader in, in Thomas Cook and Flybee to, to leading cultural change because safety comes from its people, not from the process. So, so I'm going to come back to a bit about you know, people leading that safety piece, but can you tell us a bit more about, if you don't mind, what's the leadership requirements or perhaps the hallmarks of good leadership when you talk in terms of administration? Because what's that like to go through? God, it's horrible. Um, having gone through it twice, the, the shock of going into administration, the decision that the CEO and the CFO and the directors of the business have to take to put a company into administration, it's... I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. The, it's, it's the having to tell people that their livelihood and their employment no longer exists. Ah, ah, like that. No, it's going to happen in a month's time. It's going to happen in whatever. It's now. No, sorry, today, this morning. Um, and the shock of that and watching the impact that shock has on people because everyone reacts in different ways. Um, and so, so actually, it's the first 48 hours, everyone is in absolute shock. And, mm -hmm. But it's then how do you get back out of shock? How do you then bring the people together and focus on a goal? Because everyone at that point sort of doesn't know what the next, every business has a plan and you have a, a one year, three year, five year plan. Suddenly you have no plan. And, and it's, that, it's that void, that uncertainty that's left. And that can be really destroying for people um, and for teams. So even then creating, we'll tell you what, we don't have a plan, but let's work on what we're gonna do by the end of this week. Let's work on what we're going to do by the end of the month. Working with the administrators right. that are brought in, so you, but you have to think of your own goals. So, so one of the things that happened for us in both times actually, the aviation community is very powerful. And so one of the first things we did is said, we're going to look after the people that have been let go. We're going to activate as many networks and as, very support, as many support mechanisms as we can. So we had things like hashtag Flybee family. One of the guys right. actually came up with a brilliant idea. We were trying to think of a strap line we could use that would allow us to, all the job offers and the amazing support that came flooding in for, the, for Thomas Cook and for, um, and for Flybeat, you know, how do we harness that? And that became one of the goals of the leadership team to, okay, whilst we're waiting for the administrators to, to take yes. charge and settle in, we've got a goal of looking after our people. And that was, that was a really powerful moment where we, it gave us all something, gave us all a purpose. And do you think, you know, you've had, you've had two, you know, uh, two, you know, two experiences of administration, you know, I mean, maybe not talk specifically. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, uh, get you into any trouble. But what would you say were some of the, if you saw any poor leadership behaviours, which were or unhelpful leadership behaviours, and which were the more helpful leadership behaviours? I think uh, let's start off with the helpful. The helpful bit was everyone just realising that there was change. I think the there's a shift. There's a there's an absolute switch that happens, and and being able to grasp that switch or not grasp that switch, I think, is, is a challenge. But the, the helpful leadership behaviors were people just pitching in, saying, I don't know what to do today. I, I don't know how to lead my team. I, I, I don't know how can someone help me or where can me and my team help? So I, I'll never forget the Thomas Cook experience when we needed to clear out offices. And you can imagine if clearing out your team's office oh. is horrible. Yeah. So we recognized quite early on that actually there were some of us who A, were newer to the business or were a bit okay with it. And so, so actually it was, it was myself and the rest of the, the safety team at Thomas Cook who ended up going and clearing out other people's offices for them. Just getting up, bring, wearing jeans to work, yep. grabbing black bags, clearing out. 
it was it was not a pleasant place to be, but actually it was almost slightly cathartic at the same time. Wow. Because we had to, you know, the administrators had the office had the offices they had to be cleared. So we just got in and got on with it. But only by leading and supporting each other were we able to do that. And and other people recognized and went, okay, we can chip in. So so being flexible of mind and being willing to just get stuck in somewhere was a really good leadership behavior that we saw from a number of people. Um, and caring for people, you know. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the money at that point anymore. It's about looking after the people. No, no. In fact, there was a there's a guy I worked with a few years ago. Who I just thought was amazing. He's one of the best leaders I've ever worked with. Um, genuinely. And uh, when he had to let some people go due to a you know difficult situation, I think he had, I think 30 of 120 had to leave. He saw all of them personally, and there were I mean he was exhausted. But there were people who were sat there saying, "You are doing. I know it's difficult for you, a CEO, but you're doing the right thing for the business." And they are still in touch with him five, six, seven years after. You know, so there's something about that people stuff. Yeah. Um, so thanks for that sort of practical insight into what to do or what you saw well. You know, can you shed some light on some leadership behaviours that perhaps were unhelpful? Um, it's difficult. I, I think the, the difficult part of leadership behaviours is is the relationship with the administrators coming in because how do you, you have this other team that come in and and we were actually I actually found myself in a bit of a challenge because having been through it once I didn't go into as much shock as previous um, particularly the second time around and and therefore I was able to relate easier to the administrators having just come from a company administration um, and I probably didn't help in some areas because I was just cracking on rather than allowing people to catch up and keep up so so there was a, there was a quite a lot of period of self-reflection and, and working had I done my best and had I helped as much as I could have done um, and you know actually a period of reflection and, and sometimes talking through with somebody else um, was really quite useful but uh, but that's probably I think yeah observing I think sometimes if you if you drive on too hard without observing your surroundings and how other people are reacting you, you can alienate a little bit and, and I, I found myself doing that and, and caught myself and, and wound back and 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 re-engaged and, and got back into the the team um, but yeah, it was, a, it was certainly a period of self-reflection there. Wow. So how do you lead people through that change curve? How do you, how as leader, do you, you know, do you meet your staff needs? As you said, they kind of go through the shock bit and maybe some anger and distress. How do you, how do you manage those emotions? To be honest, it's very, empathise. Not sympathise, empathise. Um, because you're actually in the same boat. They just haven't told you yet that you're going. Um, you're, you're in that. And so, so you can empathise with them um, and listen because everyone is impacted in different ways. And the way you're feeling is not the way someone else is feeling, um, particularly one of your team. They're, the drivers for their concerns may be completely different to yours. Um, and everyone reacts differently. Some people, to them, the biggest loss was the loss of the team they were part of, because that was mm. their, their everything. To others, it was just a job, but it was the income and the impact on their family. Everyone is different. And I think the biggest thing for me was just listening and learning from each person how, you know, okay, how can, how can we best help you? Um, and you know, we'd gone through a period of, of restructuring previously, just as I joined in Flybe. So we were already in that mindset of people, you know, having to consider their roles, changing roles. Some people potentially being moved to different departments. Unfortunately, some people being let go. So we'd already been through a little bit of that. Um, but then, when it's very sudden, you're suddenly the whole support network is cut off. The formal support network for for managing people out of a business and, and letting them go. Um, and it's all very informal. You're only doing the best you can. So things like just any contact and support you can offer, any references, anything like that you can help with. It's really that you're limited in what you can actually do formally. So it's just being there to listen and support informally. 
That's a really interesting, you know, view of the formal versus informal. And, you know, that piece earlier, I hadn't really thought about that. Some people will be, they will mourn the loss of the team, others their job and income. Mm. And actually you've got to give everybody a good listening to. And I think it was a great guy, Shane McConnell, talked about, you know, needs-driven leadership. You know, what are your needs? Mm -hmm. And let me let me lead on those needs rather than, um, you know, a practical, maybe a more practical view of um, leadership, which is, which is interesting. Can I ask, um, given your years of experience in the Navy, is there anything from that that sort of practically translated into helping you through a number of your leadership, uh, you know, um, positions in business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, two spring to mind. One is the change of leadership style, depending on what's happening at the time. To go from a very, to use the academic phrases, the very transformational leadership style into a transactional leadership style when it's required. Um, I'll give you an example of them, you know, managing a crisis. When you're managing a crisis and, or exercising the management of a crisis, your leadership style has to change to be more directive rather than sort of collaborative. I'm a very collaborative leader generally and very transformational. Um, I like to listen and engage and bring people a little together and, and together we achieve something. But when you're in a crisis mode, you are absolutely directive in how you lead certain points and then you, then you go out of directive mode into, okay, what do we do next? Let's think together. Right, my direction is bang, bang, bang. Um, so I learned that, that was a military sort of experience and I've applied that in the management and the training and exercising ready for, for crises. Um, the other bit, um, and I'll never forget, I had a, a leader in, um, in HMS Illustrious, one of the aircraft carriers, he came on board, we were refitting the aircraft carrier up in Recife and it was all rusty and red and, and you know, red, red lead paint and all the other <laughs> stuff they used to, um, and dust everywhere as we were refitting the aircraft carrier and this guy called Al Martin joined and he's just phenomenal. Um, he came in and he very quickly rebuilt a whole department. And I just remember watching him and thinking, I want to be like you. And his mantra, his opening mantra, he said, I'm about people, quality and communication. And he talked to us about those three elements. And at the end of it, he said, you notice I haven't talked about aircraft availability. I haven't talked about spares. I haven't talked about the engineering stuff. Because if I do my job and look after people, quality and communication, then that means you guys can do all the other stuff that means the aircraft are available and the spares are there and the aircraft in the right place at the right time, et cetera. Um, and the way we support the squadrons. So, so that was a real lesson for me. And I think that was the first time I really saw it so succinctly put. And actually that's been one of my mantras ever since. People, quality, communication. If you get those three right, everything else flows. That's, I like that, people, quality and comms. I go back to like teasing you, and I know I've teased mm -hmm. you over you know many years about the fact that you know, in essence, you're in you know security risk. You're, you know, or, or at least that's how I see you. And yet, hardly ever do you talk about it because you're always talking about the people stuff and the and the cultural stuff. So if I can kind of get you back into you know to aviation, you know the, that security or risk element, what is it about people and culture that's so important in that risk space? So I'll give you maybe a way to describe it is, is why is aviation so safe? It's the safest form of transport by a, by a mile. But why? Because everyone, you know, if you have a fear of flying, you have a, a, a significant, you don't have a fear of bus travel or a fear of being in a car, <laughs> no. but you have a fear of, because it's- Because I get on a plane and go to sleep. Well, Because I figure it's, do you know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's, that's my catch up nap time, so. Um... Because you are relaxed and you, you're, you feel safe. You won't yeah. sleep if you don't feel safe. Um, but, but aviation is so safe and it's, it's down to a culture. It's, it's technically, yes, you have to, the regulations are very strict and there's a whole system that's pulled together to make aviation safe. 
But actually, when you go back to the, the, the crux of it, is we learn from when it goes wrong. And we have a mindset that starts at the very beginning that we learn why something went wrong and how to stop it from going wrong again, not who. And that's the fundamental premise of why aviation is so safe. We don't look to blame. We look to understand what happened, why it happened, so we can stop it from happening again. Now, if you go back to the 1950s, the year of the comet, etc., you know, technology was so advanced, was, was advancing so fast that it was the aircraft that was predominantly the thing that was going to challenge you and, and perhaps kill you. Um, and as we've grown and we've developed, the aircraft has become so much safer. And then we realize that there are these damn people in the way. People are involved and, and people get it wrong. We all screw up. You know, I screwed up this morning trying to put shaving cream on my toothpaste, on my toothbrush rather. You know, we, we do this stuff every day. Um, but we've learned and we've made sure it's safe and we set the right culture. So actually, we have the design of the aircraft and the manufacturing standards of the aircraft and, and they're absolutely vital, they're the bedrock. But we also have to make sure we set the right culture and we, we engage the people to be safe so that if somebody does do something wrong, because we're human, that the system still remains safe. Um, so that's why, to me, people and, people and culture are right at the very heart of how we keep aviation safe and along with every other safety critical industry, be it nuclear, rail, construction, whatever it might be. It's interesting you use the word safety, um, whereas I tend to think secure. I don't mean security as in, you know, kind of airport security. I mean, mm. I feel safe and secure, but it's funny, I just, I'm just saying I feel, so I feel secure in your hands. I feel secure on an aeroplane. I feel, you know. It's really, it, that's, that's a really interesting observation. I remember doing some safety training with up in, um, up in Denmark um, with a team out there and I was talking, banging on about safety. I said, so what's the difference between safety and security? And they looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> and I sort of, well, come on. And they said, Colin, it's the same word in Danish. Ah. So, so it's not surprising you said because safety and security or feeling secure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, can, I completely see how they link together. So you, you talked about the what goes wrong and then you know, not, not the blame, but the what goes wrong. Hmm. But how do, you, how do you manage or discuss you know, when, when it is a human error and therefore there are people involved, how do, you, how do you manage that piece in maybe learning lessons and therefore improving the, you know, the safety piece? If it's, human, if it's human factors, errors, problems, relationships, how do you deal with that stuff? So, so the first thing is blame is a delicious emotion. Everybody loves a bit of blame. Just, I mean, just, God, just look at the media, look at the papers. The first question when something is wrong is who did it? Um, and, and that's the wrong. So in aviation, we don't have that. We, we actually, we're regulated to have what they call a just culture, where you have a balance of, you know, it's not about individual blame. It's about learning what happened and why it happened. So, so the first question, human error to me is not an answer. And this is again, where the media perhaps or sort of common thinking is, is, is to be challenged. Human error is the question, what caused the human to make the error? Because like I mentioned with my shaving cream and toothbrush, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get it wrong sometime. So it's not, oh, I got it wrong. Well, that's a guaranteed 100%. You know, even the Romans knew we got it, we get it wrong. Errare humanum est, to err is human. So it's a question of what caused the human to make the error and why, why did the system or the way we set up the operation not catch the human making the error before it led to something going wrong, um, if that makes sense. So, so really, that's, that's where the investigation, the learning, you know, and actually we're moving away from even using the phrase investigations. We now talk about learning teams. Oh, okay. Because in investigation, people's natural connotation is police investigation, criminal investigation. We've naturally associated the word investigation with someone's done something wrong. So we now talk about the phrase learning teams. 
we're going to form a learning team to learn why this happened and learn how we can perhaps stop it from happening again. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? And, and funny how the emotional bit goes with, we're going to conduct an investigation, sets me, it, it gives me like a slight sense of anxiety almost. When you say, uh, this is a learning team to, you know, to understand why. Oh, okay. It just, it, it does actually elevate your thinking. I become, even I just, I got that sense of being um, slightly defensive versus much more open when you said uh, kind of yeah. like a learning culture or a you know, learning way of doing uh, And then something. the, the follow-on from that is you then have to show people that you're going to do something with what you've learned. So it's all very well doing the learning team and, and gathering all the information and finding out what happened and why it happened, but the doing something to stop it from happening again. If you don't do anything with it, and this is part of the leadership and setting the culture, is if all you do is talk and you, you gather all the information, you have to go and actually put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of times in business where I've seen people do everything from, you know, staff surveys, engagement surveys, something else, and they gather the information and then do nothing with it. And that has a really negative impact because people have put their time, uh, you know, in, into, into the survey or, you know, gathering the information. And then when management or leadership do nothing with it, there's a, you know, quite often a negative effect. So it's not just what yeah. you've missed out on, there's an even lower, or, a, you know, a, say a, a, a negative right. impact that says, well, I did it and you can't be bothered. Yeah. Yeah, to share it. The way I describe it is it's like a stopwatch. The moment I complete that survey, I start the button on my stopwatch and I'm watching the clock and I'm waiting to stop the clock when I hear back what's happened as a result of what I've said. It's a bit like we talk about putting safety reports in and or, you know, I've got a broken tool. I need a new tool. Start the button. How long does the procurement process take? Well, if the procurement process takes a good 48 months and, and papers in triplicate and, and review board after review board because I need yeah. a new freaking tool, then am I going to tell you I've got a broken tool next time or am I going to bodge the job with the tool that I should have but I don't have? So, so that's, that speed of response, that promise of doing something and the speed at which it happens is absolutely vital in, in leading people. So that promise of response um, almost sort of, uh, I was going to say overtly or covertly, you know, but there isn't, whether, I, whether, I, whether we talk about that promise or expectation, it is there, I do have it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I may not tell you I've got it, but I am clock watching. Absolutely right. Yeah. Now I've got to. I'd like to just move on to the, the future stuff, actually, because you know that I'm quite selfish, um, <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, Fly B was fabulous for me because I used to walk up, to, you know, you know, nip up to Southampton Airport, walk onto a plane, which is like a big bus shelter, Southampton Airport. Yeah. Wonderful, right? Um, you know, get on a Fly B flight, go to work. Uh, you know, even if it doesn't, you know, Paris, Manchester, you know, up to Newcastle was utterly brilliant, right? And I flew home on one of the last Flybe flights when we could fly, if you remember that, you go to work back in uh, March of last year. And, you know, by the time I got home, you, you guys had closed, which I think was disgraceful because it meant I couldn't go to work. But also, of course, we, you know, the, the whole industry, in essence, closed yeah. a, a few weeks later. So given all that and the, and the incredibly tough times the aviation business has been through. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could spend a few minutes telling us perhaps the upsides or the useful changes that have come out of this period. And what can we expect? Or maybe actually, what, what do we demand of, of, of the future of aviation, do you think? Wow, where, where do we go with that one, PJ? That's, that's huge. Um, I think the, the upside is it's caused people to value traveling. Traveling almost became, or flying became too easy and therefore was just assumed to be there all the time. The, the amount of effort that goes into making an aircraft depart on time and land on time and be able to enable people to travel and connect is, is, is huge. And I think people had almost taken it for granted and it became almost a disposable thing. It's, ah, oh, flying is easy. 
we don't understand the impact, we don't understand the need, we just, it just is there all I, the time. I absolutely took it for granted. Yeah. I mean, three and a half hours door to door from my place to somewhere to work in, um, in Newcastle for, yeah. you know, a couple of hundred quid return. Yeah. And I'm talking about including taxis either end was yeah. marvellous. So, uh, go on, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but you're absolutely right. I did take it for granted. And I think, I think what it's caused us to do is to understand the value of connection. Um, funny enough, when we were thinking about the relaunch of Flybe and the values and describing what we do, the thing that struck me was hugs and hu hugs and handshakes. That's what that's what air travel actually enables, hugs and handshakes. Because we've learned in the last year that virtual connections, whilst they're good and they're good once you've had the hug or the handshake, you can't build a connection very easily remotely. Um, and so there's still a need for people to travel and connect. But I think what we've done is it's, it's caused us to question how much we need to do it and the value of it. So we recognise and clarified the value a bit. I think how we travel in the future is going to change. Um, I think people are more challenged by the cost of it. I think the costs are going to change. People are going to recognise that actually the demand is not as easy as that. Um, and I hope, my fingers are crossed, that we don't have a race to the bottom in terms of price wars. Because it's interesting when you look at safety versus cost and how that and where the cost comes out. If you're going to have a price war to the bottom, where are you making the savings in order to be able to offer those prices? And I think that's something where we're going to be challenged. That's, that's a challenge for the industry. I'm, yeah. And what do you think the future of aviation will look like? You know, will it be just a few big planes? Will it be lots of small planes? What? Yeah. How am I going to move around? So, so that's a really interesting one, and we'll lead on a little bit to where where I'm working now. But, um, but I think people don't want to spend longer than they have to travelling. And we saw this with with the likes of the A380. They stopped making the A380. People thought ten years ago the A380 was going to be the the future of travel, and the hub and spoke concept. That, you know, you look at Dubai. Dubai is the classic, and as is Amsterdam classic hub and spoke type models. People want direct travel. And that's why you see in the, the growth of the, the uh, Dreamliner, the 787 and the A350, and at a, at, a, at a more local level, the regional connectivity, for example, Flybe. Interesting that, that almost all the routes that Flybe operated have been covered to a certain extent, not in the same volume necessarily, but a lot of the routes have been covered by other places. Logan Air is doing a phenomenal job of, of covering some of those routes, as are Eastern and Blue Islands and so on. So, so the connectivity is still there, not the same volume, but the short connecting routes, you know, bringing people, allowing people point to point travel rather than going via hub and spoke. So that's one bit. Um, but actually, the, the, the next generation of travel is, is coming. And this is, this is the, the amazing, incredible environment that I'm involved in now, which is in what they call regional air mobility. And particularly the, the advent of electric vertical takeoff and landing, or eVTOL. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to get a phone call a few months ago asking whether I would go and join the team at Lilium, who is one of the, one of the leaders in this field. There are four or five big organizations that are getting into the eVTOL and regional air mobility world. Um, and it's a fascinating journey, to be honest. So, so the change that brings is rather than having to travel to an airport, which tends to be on the outskirts of the town, you can start to look at more it, within this, being able to depart and arrive within the city rather than on the outskirts of the city. Um, we talk about vertiport, so it's vertical landing, vertical takeoff. What does that mean? It means your journey is considerably shorter. Um, it means you don't have the hassle, the check-in, the two-hour check-in, etc. You can talk about 15-minute check-in. Um, it becomes a far more easily accessible travel um, and it connects and you build a network 
far quicker because you don't need a huge amount of infrastructure. Um, you don't need to lay miles and miles of roads or miles and miles of rail. Um, so it's, it's going to be phenomenal and I think that's going to be the next, it's, it's a paradigm shift coming. Um, you know, the, the technology, the way of operating, etc. It's fascinating. I'm, I'm delighted to be part of it all. I've only been there uh, seven weeks, um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's just fantastic. So if that's the, uh, you know, to some degree, the, the future of mobility, what is the future of leadership behaviours going to look like in order to, to lead that paradigm shift that you talk about? Well, leadership and management, people sometimes inter, interplay the two. Um, and I think the leadership element, it's, it, leadership is leading people. People sometimes forget, I'm leading the company. No, you're leading the people in the company. Leadership is absolutely 100% about people. Um, and and so, so what I see is the, the great leaders coming to the surface and, and actually more importantly than that is the next generation of leaders coming up through through the businesses and, and coming into businesses and them coming up and being developed as great leaders. Um, it's one of the areas where historically, not just in aviation, but in every industry, we have failed to invest in lead, developing leaders. It's interesting when you look at in the military environment, your annual report was about a third on performance and two thirds on potential. I haven't seen anyone talk about potential in any kind of annual review anywhere outside of the military. Um, and now I'm sure there are examples where it does happen, but the vast majority, it's about how have you performed in order to achieve a bonus or a performance report or whatever, but never, how can we help you grow? How can we help you develop to reach your own potential? Um, and that includes promotion, leadership development, we promote people based on their technical ability, not on their leadership ability, yet we ask them to be, to be a leader. And we, it's only by luck that we get good ones um, or their own personal drive to become a good leader. So, so I think in terms of the future, not just in aviation, but I think understanding how do we build the great leaders of tomorrow? How do we help the leaders build themselves? So how do we develop those people that want to be developed and, and show potential for development? But if we don't even know which ones have the potential to be developed, then, then where do we start? It's interesting to talk about um, potential because I often sort of say to clients, you know, if you look at your business, it's reckoned there's something like 50 to 70% of the potential in the business, i.e. in people, is, is wasted, untapped, you know, very, it, you know as, in, as in it could be used, it's there available, mm. it could be mobilised, but it isn't, you know, for, for leadership reasons, for cultural reasons. Um, and yet, and, and likewise, you say people get promoted on skills and technical ability, those technical abilities, right? Mm. Um, who then cause, not deliberately, but cause untold damage or cost to the business through poor leadership, because they are expert, they lead as experts or they lead as technical, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore they miss out on all that people stuff, which just seems bonkers, as you say, when you, you know, your biggest resource, your greatest capability um, is, in, is in people. So, yeah, how you develop future leaders to, to live up to or to lead the future of mobility I just think that's a, I've got a wonderful topic. Perhaps we could revisit that again. Yeah. Perhaps in another one. So just, just kind of drawing this to a close, because you've talked about some great things today. If you were to just sum up, what are the, what are the tips that you would offer for leaders or, or leadership in business today? So, so it sounds a bit of a corny strap line, but leaders get the culture they deserve. That's so, so if you're questioning the culture, you need to look at yourself because you set the tone. Um, so so that's, that's one bit. I think that the bit that flows on from that then is, is caring for your people. 
If you show you care, and excuse me, the hashtag potty mouth is coming out for a second. Yeah. If you give a shit about your people, they will give a shit about what you is what is important to you. Um, if you don't give a shit about your people, or they don't believe you give a shit about them because you haven't demonstrated it, then they won't care about what's important to you. They'll care about what's important to them. And that's the fundamental premise of leadership. So giving a shit about your people, clearly, evidently, prove it. Um, so, so how do you do that? Well, it's a good question of, as you walk up to somebody and you're walking around your business, wherever it might be, instead of asking, what are you doing? Ask, how are you doing? Because the moment you ask, how are you doing? They'll open up to you. The moment you, you ask the question, what are you doing? The first answer is nothing because they're on the defensive because that's the way that we, we talk. We, you know, what are you doing? Nothing. Um, how are you? How are you doing? I'm good. Show an interest in the person and the task will get done. Show an interest in the task and you'll never win the person. There's definitely, I look, I look forward to your, uh, your book about uh, <laughs> leading business change, hashtag give a shit. <laughs> But, but actually, you know, it's true, isn't it? There's a very practical element to that stuff around, you know, the, you know, connecting on a, on a human, you know, humanizing business, connecting on that well, sort of human if, level. Well, if you don't mind, just a, another second on that yeah. one. I, the reason I have this hashtag potty mouth is because I got fed up with talking about safety in particular and safety management in utter, utter business jargon. So much so that people didn't even understand what we were talking about. I watched one, one guy give a training course to some people who work, the ground handlers, they work moving the bags, moving the aircraft, etc. They are phenomenal people who have great team spirit. They get in there in all sorts of shitty weather and they, they get your bags on and off the aircraft, they get the aircraft back safely, they're looking after you from underneath the aircraft yes. like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. And, and I watched this person say, so tell me, what's the definition of a hazard? And they started to go into some theoretical definition of hazard and risk. <laughs> So I went up and said, what do you do if you screw up? What is screwing up? You know, and I used words that we would use in a pub or a bar or sitting outside by the, by the water. And we talk normally. And, and that's where this potty mouth, because, because I swear and curse, thanks to 19 years in the Navy, I swear and curse like a good one. I use that as the normal way of talking. And it's amazing watching people in the different operational teams. Suddenly, instead of thinking, God, this is another boring training course, sit forward and, and start to engage in a conversation because I'm talking the way they talk normally. And, and that's, I think that's another, if you want a, a tip, is speak the way you would speak in a pub or a bar or with your friends. Don't, don't get this management jargon that we seem to thrive and thrap upon. We've got, uh, in our office, we've got a little list of um, sort of management speak terms. We tease each other uh, and also we tease um, clients about if they use it too much because some of the stuff that just gets banded around now, um, it just, I mean, it makes me giggle, but also we don't know what people are talking about. So come on, let's have some plain English or, you know, plain speak English. And, and that's it, and, 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 and actually, so in terms of the tip is when you hear it, ask the question, what do you mean? Is there a simpler, is there an easier word? Can we just stop talking bollocks, basically? <laughs> you know, if you call it out in that kind of challenging, open, slightly funny sense, like you're talking about with your list and you're with your clients, people say, they laugh about it and then they realize and then they reflect and go, yeah, what I'm actually trying to say is, can we stop screwing around, you know? I talk about safety as being the, the absence of bad shit. You know, we get better and do, do better every day so we have less and less bad shit happen to us. That's the definition of safety. Brilliant. Right, and on, and on that note, I'm going to thank uh, Colin Russell so much. Um, you know, listen, I teased you about being boring. That was anything but boring. And, I just, and listen, I love your view of the future of mobility uh, and aviation and how, and actually how we need to kind of shift that. 
paradigm in terms of our behaviours and what we expect from, from flying and travel. So this has been me, PJ Stevens, with my PJ Tips podcast on leading business change. And so with, with thanks to Colin Russell. Um, if you want to get in touch, it's pj at pjstevens.co.uk. Please do share this podcast and um, get in touch if you've got any questions. You can find Colin if you want to on LinkedIn. Colin, am I allowed to, to give out the, um, the domain name of your new business or not? Yeah, lilium.com. It's, you know, www.lilium.com. Have a look and see the, uh, the incredible adventure we're embarking upon. And where do I get my first flight on one of your um, vertical, what is it, vertical takeoff? It's an eVTOL, electric vertical takeoff and landing. And I'm booked on for my first flight where? <laughs> I'm not going to get drawn on that one, PJ. Cheers. Thanks, Colin. Bye. Bye.